This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parsh Bikude, guys, Perak Mem Pasuk Yud Zion, you should have the sheets in front of you. It was in the first month, in the second year, on the first of the month, Hukam HaMishkan. The Mishkan was set up. Pasuk Yud Ches, Vayakam Moshe HaMishkan. Moshe set up the Mishkan. Vayitinis Adonav, Yosem Eskoroshav, he put down the sockets, and he placed the beams inside, Vayitinis Brichav, and he put in the bars, Vayakam HaSamudav, and then he set up the pillars, etc., now, the Ramban says that this Pasuk is telling us what's going to happen on Chav Gimel Adr. Remember, Chav Gimel Adr was when they started setting it up. There was a seven-day period where Moshe Rabbeinu was putting things together, taking it down, acting as a Kohen for seven straight days, until finally we get to Rosh Chodesh Nisan when it was fully done. And that was that. That was the first day that Aaron became the Kohen. That was the Vayhi Bayoma Shmini, Parsha Shmini, that we're coming up to really, really soon. So Moshe did that every time. There are other things that were done on that such as the Meshichas HaKelem, the anointing of the Kalem of oil, etc. But that's going to be spoken about later. This Parsha is only going to be about the Avoda, or putting together the Kalem that they needed for the Avoda of the Beis Hamikdash. And the Torah and the Ramban both speak about this. They both say that's the idea behind it. It seems strange that they waited until Rosh Chodesh Nisan to erect the Mishka. Because everything was finished by Chafei Kislev, that's straight out from Tur, Or Chaim, Tafresh Pei Dalit. They finished everything by, Ro- by Chanukah, by Chafei Kislev. So why would they wait until Rosh Chodesh Nisan? What are you waiting for until Rosh Chodesh Nisan? What was going on until then? So the Victor Miller says there was a significance to this. It had been one year since they left Mitzrayim. The Mishka was a memorial of them leaving Mitzrayim because all the materials that they used to make the Mishkan were stuff that they had taken out of Egypt. Either the stuff they had taken out directly that they had borrowed, so to speak, from the Egyptians or the stuff that they found at Kriyas Yamsuk. Either way, it was a symbol of gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu on the one-year anniversary of when they started to become free. Remember, Rosh Chodesh Nisan was when they started to do Kiddush HaChodesh, they had mitzvot, etc. And therefore, because of the miracles that happened to them on the way out, they made the Mishkan then. Yeah, they could have finished by Chafei Kislev, but they wanted to make a memorial on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and they did that. That's how Rabbi Der Miller puts it. The Chsam Sofer and Taurus Moshe, he asked, where did they put the Kalim until then, for the next few months, if nothing was constructed until the first of Nisan? And again, they finished on Chafei Kislev. You then had Teves, Shvat, and Adr. What happened during those days? You had three full months what did you do with the Kalim until then? And the truth is, that was Bitsalo's kasha. Bitsalo went to Moshe Rabbeinu, the Gemara and Brachos in the last parak says, and he went to Moshe Rabbeinu and he said, I don't understand. What do you do? Do you first make a house and put the Kalim in? Of course you do. You don't make the Kalim. You don't buy furniture and then put up the house. That's ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? That was Bitsalo's kasha. Now, the Chassam Sofer says, so at the end of the day, what did they do with those Kalim? Why did they have those Kalim there? What did they do exactly? He says a simple answer. He says there was no kasha until the kalim were anointed with oil. They weren't holy yet. If they weren't holy, it didn't matter. You could keep them anywhere. You could put them in storage. Yeah, you made an Aron. You made a menorah. You made a Mizbeach. But you didn't anoint them with the Shemana Mishka yet. Right now, they're mundane. And if they're mundane, you could put them in a garage. There's no big deal with that. But on Chav Gimel Adr, 
when they were anointed, that's when you had to find them a spot. And that's why B'Tzalah was saying, you first should build the Mishkan and then anoint the Kalim. That's what he was asking about. He wasn't asking about the construction of the Kalim because he understood the construction of the Kalim was going to be ready before it actually happened. But what do you do in order to anoint them? That was the idea behind it. That's the idea where Moshe Rabbeinu said, B'Tzalah El Ha'isa. That's an unbelievable shot behind the Gemara. But that's something to understand. It certainly sounds like these psukim are repetitive. Everything's been said before. We know about all this stuff. If you would have just said Parshish Truma and Parshish Tzaveh, it would have been easy enough. There would have been no questions. The fact that we have to go through Vayakel and Pekude of saying, here's what happened and here's what Moshe made, and he did it. He was Vayakel Moshe. Of course he made the Mishkan. We didn't have any Shilas about that. What was the Chiddush here? Swerp Hirsch says a massive Chiddush. He says, it could be that the first Pasuk, where it says, right over here, who come HaMishkan, the Mishkan was set up, he says it could be that that refers to the seven days of the inauguration of the Mishkan. Remember, again, Chav they put it up, took it down. Chav Dalit, put it up, put, took it down. Chav put it up, took it down. Until Rosh Chodesh Nisan, where they put it up, and they never took it down after that, until they moved. Where Aaron was the Kohen, and that happened from that point on. It could be that Hukama Mishkan, says Rav Hirsch, is referring to putting it up and taking it down. And the next Pasuk, Vayakam Moshe Esa Mishkan, that he set up the Mishkan, we just said Hukama Mishkan. But Vayakam Moshe Esa Mishkan refers to the eighth day where it was set up for good. At this point, the Asuli Mikdash, the Shachanti Besocham, which we talked about just a few weeks ago in Parshish Truma, that was accomplished. The Luchos were housed properly. The people had done what they, had done, what they were supposed to do. The people were a people of God. It could be that that's the reason why these two Psukumar said, Hukama Mishkan for seven days, and Vayakam Moshe Mishkan permanently, or as permanent as you can get while you're in the midbar with a temporary structure, that's Vayakam Moshe Mishkan and Pasagirchas. But there even could be a remez here. There could be a remez to something else entirely. There were seven times that the Mishkan or the base of Mikdash was destroyed over the years until we're at the point where we are today, where obviously we have nothing. Meaning, if you look at the Midbar, where it was eventually taken down, brought to Gilgal, taken down from Gilgal, brought to Shiloh, destroyed at Shiloh by the police, and brought to Nov, then brought to Givon, then the first base of Mikdash, and then the second base of Mikdash. Seven times the base of Mikdash was brought down, and eventually we'll have the third base of Mikdash, which is going to stand up forever. If you count that out, that could be that Hukama Mishkan, the Mishkan was put up seven different times, representing the seven days when Moshe Vedim put it up and took it down, put it up and took it down. Seven times until the eighth day refers to the Beis HaMikdash La'asid, the third Beis HaMikdash, which should happen this coming up year, right? And that third Beis HaMikdash is where it's going to be forever. That's where Moshe Rabbeinu set it up in such a way where it'll never be taken down. It's going to remain there as much as possible. That's how Rehearsh says it. Now, the truth is, the Gera Rebbe says the exact same thing. The Rebbe Migor says the seven Hakamos were a preparation for the final product on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. I, I don't really have a great muscle for this because we don't really do stuff like this. Like if you're making something with Lego, right? So you don't prepare 
and build it up once and then a second time and then a third time until finally you set it up and you're like, okay, now I know what I'm doing and you do it the final time. You just sort of go with how it is. If you make something from Ikea, it's not like you put it together five or six or seven times until you set it up forever, you know? <laughs> so you might do that by accident, but it's not like that's going to happen on purpose. I don't know anything like this, but the truth is I've never made anything really important. If you would put something together, really something that's unbelievably chashuv, it could be that you wouldn't do it just once and that's it. You'd put it together temporarily, take it down to make sure it's okay. Put it back together to make sure it's okay, then take it down again. Put it together a third. It might be you would do that until the seventh time you know what you're doing, you're not going to mess it up. I don't have, if anybody can think of a good muscle for this, I don't have a great muscle for this. I just have like this idea, yeah. I see. Like you'll try it out again and again, like software. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So software would be a good example of something like this. You put it up and you take it down. That's how he says it. The Gera Rebbe says the nefila is not the purpose of just a falling to take something down. It's a nefila in order to have the final hakama. The seven days were only there for the eighth time. And he says that's how you can explain that Pasuk and Mishra that we all know in Chavdala Tesvav. Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vekam. Seven times the Tzadik falls and gets up. Because seven times the Tzadik is trying to recognize what's the best path for him. And when he finally sees the path that he should be on, that's when he goes in that direction. He does everything in the best possible way. That's who he becomes. Now Rashi says earlier in Lama Tesla Megimel that Moshe Rabbeinu asked the Kaddish Baruch Hu how it was humanly possible for him to put together the Mishkan. The Mishkan was not an easy thing to do. It was almost impossible. HaKadosh Baruch Hu told them to try. Just try. Do what you can. And I'll finish everything off. Everything will happen in its own special way. That's why it says, who come a Mishkan here? Because the truth is, even though Moshe Rabbeinu tried to put everything up, it actually happened on its own. It was a miraculous Mishkan. The Mishkan set itself up on its own. It stood itself up and made itself there. So Moshe Rabbeinu did everything as if he was able to do it. Lifting up beams that were way too heavy for a human being to capture. Just think about this for a second. These beams were almost 15 feet tall. 15 feet tall. And they were huge. They were one and a half hours. That's almost two and three quarters of a foot. Right? We're talking like two and three quarters feet. Like almost like this big. Almost that big. Right? That wide. And 15 feet tall. You couldn't lift that up. You couldn't lift that up. We'll talk about Moshe Rabbeinu's strength in a second. We're going to talk about that. But to think that he was able to do it, says, says Rashi. He didn't. He didn't. He tried. He put his hands down and went like that, and he lifted up the beam and put it in place. He was able to do it. It looked like Moshe Rabbeinu was doing it. It looked like the people were involved. But it was really a Kaddish Baruch who was setting up the whole thing the whole time. Yeah. Uh, no, you're talking 10 hours tall. Give me a second on that. But even that, I, even that, I, that has to be an exaggeration of some point, which we'll get to with the morale. We'll talk about that soon, very, very soon. But that's the idea, guys, why it says the word Hukama Mishkan, that it stood up on its own. The Tzorah Mor says he just put his hand on it. He didn't even try. He just put his hand on the beam and the beam lifted itself up without Moshe Rabbeinu doing any effort whatsoever. He didn't even need to try. That's different from Rashi. Rashi says he had to try. He had to try to lift it, and Hashem allowed it to be lifted. But according to the Torah, he just touched it, and that's that. Anybody remember that medrash with Rabbi Hanina? Rabbi Hanina wanted to donate something to the base of Mikdash, but he was super poor. He couldn't afford it. 
he saw a beautiful rock and he said, I want to donate this to the base of Mikdash, the second base of Mikdash. By the way, Rechidim Adosa would have been toward the second base of Mikdash. And he couldn't do it. The rock was heavy. He called porters over. The porters said, we can't do it. This thing is too heavy. So what did he do? Moshe Rabbeinu called over, right? He called, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbi Hanina Bendosa called over anybody who could help him. Four malachim came in the guise of human beings. Might have been five, I don't remember. Four or five malachim came in the guise of human beings and said, we'll do it, but you have to help us. You have to hold, put your hand on it the whole time. The malachim lifted up the beam, the big, big rock, and Rabbi Hanina Mendoza put his hand on the back of the rock, and they brought it all the way to the base of Mikdash. They charged him an exorbitant amount. When he turned around to pay them, they were gone. The porters were gone. He understood that the Malachim had come to be able to help him, to bring him everything that he needed. That's how they ended up going. That's the exact same thing that happened over here. Hukam Mishkan, it happened on its own. Yeah, by Yakam Moshe's Mishkan. Moshe Rabbeinu was involved. But Hukam Mishkan, the Mishkan happened on its own. The Miyam Lues says, this was done. So the Iker Malachim would be done by Moshe Rabbeinu himself. There was very little that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to do here. He was only able to donate the little bit, the little amount that he was able to do. The rest of it he couldn't do whatsoever. Moshe Rabbeinu did not do anything on his own. Right for, for the rest of the Mishkan. Here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed the Mishkan to be built through Moshe Rabbeinu so it would be done in the best possible way. Now, the Ksav Sofer says a little bit differently. He says during these seven days when Moshe Rabbeinu was constructing and destructing the base of Mikdash, he was doing it physically. It was extremely difficult and very, very heavy. And the, the abilities that he had to, had to do it, that was ridiculously hard. But on the eighth day... That's when it was different. That's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed it to go up on its own. The Shechina rested upon the Mishkan. It constructed itself without any problem whatsoever. From that point on, whenever they destructed or reconstructed the Mishkan to travel from place to place, it would go up on its own, similar to the Arun. What happened with the Arun Kodesh, everybody? The floated. No say yes, no sub. It carried those who carried it. So to the Mishkan carried those, lifted itself up, became what it was. That's why the first Pasuk of on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, Hukam HaMishkan. On the first of Nisan, on the eighth day, when everything was done and the Shekhinah was there, that's when Hukam HaMishkan, the Mishkan, stood up on its own. But the first seven days, Vayaka Moshe Esa Mishkan. Moshe Rabbeinu had to be involved in the Mishkan, and it was difficult, but he made sure to do it. The Ksam Sofer says Moshe, this is the Ksam Sofer's father, Moshe Rabbeinu planned on setting up the Mishkan in the morning. But he couldn't do so until he was positive it was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Guys, how do you know if it's Rosh Chodesh Nisan or not? Back in the day. Not nowadays when you have a calendar. What did they do in order to find out if it's Rosh Chodesh? You had what? We can't see stars. You had the moon, but who? Aden. You had witnesses coming and testifying Right? That they were there, and that's that. They had to be Makadish Alpiria. Most Rabbin who couldn't declare it as Rosh Chodesh Nisan. In fact, he couldn't even declare it as Nisan. It might be Adarshani. He couldn't do so until the Adam came and came and were Makadish the Ri'ia. They were Makadish what they saw. So he had to wait. Every morning for seven days, Moshe Rabbeinu lifted up the Mishkan early in the morning and allowed it to go up. On the last day, the eighth day, Rosh Kodesh Nisan, he had to wait for Adam to come. He couldn't do it immediately in the morning. So what happened? Because he didn't do it early in the morning, because he's waiting for Adam to tell him that the moon came out in the right time, he's waiting for those Adam to come, the Mishkan set up itself. According to this opinion, he didn't even put a hand on it. 
The Chassam Sofer says he didn't even put a hand on it. He didn't lift it up at all. It happened on its own because it was Rosh Chodesh. Most Rabbeinu didn't know because the Edom hadn't come yet, but in Shemayim it was already in Mekudish. And because they were in Mekudish, it's Hukam Mishkan. As soon as Moshe Rabbeinu saw that, he ran to go set it up himself. He realized he missed an opportunity. He missed the opportunity. He was waiting for Edom. And the Mishkan starts lifting itself up. The beams start lifting themselves up. The sockets put themselves into place as if they had, as if they had their own life. The sockets start walking over. Anybody see that uh, Mickey Mouse Philharmonica, Philharmonic, whatever it is? You know, like everything, the brooms are all moving on their own. Like the sockets are moving on their own and putting themselves into place. The beams are standing themselves up. Moshe Rabbeinu then ran, realizing it was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. He missed out on it. So it first says, Hukam Mishkan. The Mishkan began setting itself up. And then, Vayakam Moshe as a Mishkan. Moshe Rabbeinu ran to finish up what he could by holding on to that part of the Mishkan. Is that an unbelievable answer? It's <laughs> an unbelievable answer, says Chassam Sofer. But there's more to it. Yeah. Right, that's what so you're saying. So what you're saying is, which is an awesome shot, right, an awesome idea, is that B'nai Yisrael have to declare it as Rosh Chodesh in order for it to actually be Rosh Chodesh, correct? That's what you're saying. So how could Shemayim have already set it up to which the Mishkan is setting itself up on its own? It's impossible because we need the Beisden to say Mekudosh, Mekudosh. That's a great question. I don't know how to ask that in the Chassam Silver because he's been dead for 200 years. My assumption was, <laughs> I, there was, I mean, you know, but I, I, my assumption was is that what he means is that even though there was no set Rosh Chodesh at the time for down here, the Krushim knew it was Rosh Chodesh. They knew that Hashem had set it up in such a way where it was supposed to be Rosh Chodesh. So even though it wasn't officially Rosh Chodesh yet, they were, the Krushim wanted to move themselves up as soon as possible, so they did it on their own. I don't have a great answer for that, though. That's a good question. I don't have an answer. He explains this further in the Drushas, Chelek Aleph, page 213. Listen to this. This is unbelievable. On the night they left Mitzrayim, I shouldn't say the night they left Mitzrayim. We all know that was the 15th of Nisan. On the night where they were Mekadish the Chodesh for the very first time in Mitzrayim, he says, Benashmashos, that's like right before sunset. That's where they were in Egypt. That's when the Adim saw the moon. That's Rashi and Shmos Yud Bez Bez. Right when night hit, that's when the Molad happened. Does everybody understand what I'm saying by that? Right? The new moon, so to speak, or when we can see the new moon right afterward. That's, that's what happened right there. If that's so, then through our calendar, the next year on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the moon should have taken place, the moon should have appeared a little bit later on that night. Rosh Chodesh Nisan of the next year, 354 days later, it would have appeared somewhere near the 8th hour of the night. By us, that would be somewhere around 2, 2.30 in the morning. 2, 2.30 in the morning. Now, not everybody waited up that night. Moshe Rabbeinu was hoping that there were Adim that were going to see it that late into the night to see the new moon in some way, shape, or form. Now, I will tell you, this is almost an impossibility. Do you know why I say it's an impossibility? When you see the new moon, and when it happens... It's almost always that sliver, right? It always is that sliver. And it always appears right above the horizon. It's impossible to see the moon in the eighth hour of the night on the first of the month. 
Does everybody understand why I'm saying that? It's impossible. It sets right afterward. In the eighth hour of the night, the moon would be below the earth. If you're standing in Chicago, right, in the eighth hour of the night, the moon would appear to be, I mean, just think the way it's going into the west itself, it would be be somewhere near the Pacific Ocean. It would be absolutely impossible for anyone to see it. Says the Chassam Sofer, he was never sure when the moon was going to be seen, and he was afraid he was going to have to be Ma'aber the month. Even though we'd been counting seven days of Adar, and it should be Rosh Chodesh, he was afraid since the moon, based on last year, is going to appear so much later in the night, and we're not going to be available to see it. It's going to be someone on the other side of the world, and they're not going to be able to come to testify for us, obviously, because all B'nai are in the Midbor. He was afraid that they're going to have to declare it as an Uberior, which means that day wouldn't actually be Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and they'd have to wait another day in order to set up the Mishkan on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Crazy, right? Absolutely crazy. But it had to be. If we go by Moladim, the way the Molad would work is it's supposed to be a little bit later. Moshe Rabbeinu instead heard Edus, I guess Hachodesh, from the Edim in Shamayim. And somehow it was who come based on those Edim. How that works again, based on Zevi's question earlier, what does that mean? You need two people to say that they saw the new moon. And that would have been impossible on this date. I don't have an answer. I, I absolutely have no idea. I have no clue how that possibly could have been. But somehow, maybe, 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 he heard that Edis HaKodesh, and that's what it means by standing up on its own, that somehow he got it through Shemayim, and that's the only way that it happened. Yeah, Ruth. I, I, if we say, there is a Rabbeinu Bechaya that says that, a Rabbeinu Bechaya that goes through about what the Edom would have to say in order to go through. But you'd have to bring a Raya for it. You'd have to bring some sort of a Raya that, that Rabbeinu Bechaya is correct. And the Rabbeinu Bechaya himself doesn't bring this. He doesn't bring this as his proof. Anyway, it's a long Chassam Sofer, and it's an unbelievable Chassam Sofer. But that's, it's a little bit of a hard one because of what hap- has to happen over here. Anyway, there are other answers. The Chassam Sofer says, Hukama Mishkan is the Mishkan was actually set up by Yakam Moshe as the Mishkan. The next Pasuk is referring to a base Medrash. He not only set up the Mishkan, guys, he set up a base Medrash right next door where everybody would be able to sit and learn. And that was his first order of business. After setting up the Mishkan itself, he then built a base Medrash that everybody could sit and learn. That's an unbelievable line over there. The Malvin just says that the word Hukam just means it stayed up and it wasn't taken down. It was the eighth day, not like the Ksav Sofer. He says, through HaKadosh Baruch Hu's help, obviously, but it stayed up for this long until they left Midbar Sinai a couple months later. Okay, let's go on into something else. The Balachorim says the extra hay of HaMishkan means not only did they set up the Mishkan down below, but they set up the Mishkan up above as well. There was a Mishkan down below in this earth. There's a Mishkan in Shemayim as well. Does anybody know what happens in that Mishkan? Gemara tells us the Michoel sacrifices the souls of the tzaddikim on the Mizbeach Lemala. And that's in the Korban, that's the Korban of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, up above. And that one's opposite the Mishkan down below. There's a Mishkan and a Mishkan, a Mizbeach and a Mizbeach. And that Mizbeach up above is where Michoel, so to speak, works. And he does his thing with the tzaddikim that are up there. That's why it says, Hukama Mishkan, Vayokam Esa Mishkan. That Hukama Mishkan is in Shamayim, and then Vayokam Esa Mishkan, Moshe Rabbeinu was able to do whatever he needed to do. The Rabbeinu Bechayah speaks about this a little bit. He talks about that Ha-Mishkan, Hukam Esa Mishkan, that the Hukam Mishkan, that the extra hey means something special, the Mishkan in Shamayim itself. That's the idea behind what was referring to over here. The Shach says, it seems out of order. 
Shouldn't it be that Moshe set up the Mishkan and then the Mishkan in Shemayim was made? Why does the Pasuk seem to indicate there was a Mishkan in Shemayim and then there was a Mishkan down below? Who come on Mishkan in Shemayim and then by Yaakov Moshe has the Mishkan down below over here? He says, obviously, the, the Mikdash up above, the Mishkan up above was the Iker and ours is just tuffle. It's secondary to it. But there was more to it than just that. Rosh Chodesh Nisan is a time when the Sultan is Mekatrig because the mazel of that month is Sholet. And the mazel, which is Shor, which stands for Esav, it's something there. That's why Moshe had to do everything he could to set up the Mishkan and fight him. That's the idea. That's why this Pusik starts off with the word Vayihi, which connotes sadness, to be able to knock down Vayihi. The wording of the Pusik is Vayihi, Bachodesh, Arishan, Bashanesh, Shenizbech, Lachodesh, Hukam, a Mishkan. There was a Mishkan built in Shemayim to knock out the Satan, and then by Yakam Moshe's mission. Then Moshe could do what he wanted to do in the, in, in the Mishkan down here. Three times that word Hukam appears in Tanakh. Three times. Here is one Hukam is a Mishkan. Number two is in Shmuel Bey's, Lama Gimel Bey's, where David Melech is Hukam Al. Oh man, I, I would give a point to anybody who can tell me what that Pusik's referring to. Anybody know Hukam Al? In the Medrash, it tells us that Al, Ayin Lamed, is a gematria of a hundred. It stands for, for David Melech making the hundred brachos that we make every day. That's the Hukam Al. That's where the Gemara Darsh is from, Hukam Al. But that's number two. And number three is by Yirmiya. Those who know my Navi share from Yonadav ben Rechav. Yonadav ben Rechav made some things for his children that they could never, all of his descendants, that they had to keep. They could never live in houses. They were never allowed to drink wine. They couldn't be involved in any wars. His children kept those promises. They kept staying in, they lived in tents. They didn't drink any wine. They didn't do anything until something happened. They had to live in houses. Yirmiya went to them to go see what had happened to them. Why did they break their father? They said, because of war. We can't live in tents because we're all going to die. So those three times Hukam is mentioned by Yonadab and Rechav's children, their descendants, that they Hukam is Divri Yonadab. The connection between all three, says the Balaturim, is that since Moshe Rabbeinu tried very hard to understand everything he needed to know about the Beis HaMikdash, about the Mishkan, he was Zohar for it to be known as his building. He set it up. David Amalek did everything he could to build the base of Mikdash, even though he wasn't able to in the end, because Nassim Navi told him he couldn't. He was Hukam Al. It's like he built it. That's number two. And number three, Yonadav ben Rechav, since they learned what his, their father had said, their grandfather, their forefather had said, they kept that legacy for many, many years, and they understood what their father wanted them to do. They were called Hukam. That legacy remained for many, many years. That's the idea of Hukam. If a person keeps what their fathers and their grandfather, their great grandfathers do. That minhagim, you're also on the level of hukam al, hukam hamishkan, hukam as divri yonadav ben reichav. That's the idea, the idea behind it. Rabbi Noah Ephraim says hukam al also refers to the hukam al, the mishkan up above, similar to what we said up above from the, from the Baal Turim. The Torah more says the same. The chidah brings another explanation. He says it refers to the Beis HaMikdash of the future. The third Beis HaMikdash of what's going to be. And we give a remnant to this earlier, that the eighth day from, from, uh, from Rav Hirsch and from the Ger Rebbe. But says the Chidah, Hukam is used by David Melch to refer to what's going to be in the future. We are going to have a third Beis HaMikdash. That's going to last forever. That's a Hukam. It's going to be there forever. He quotes the Kliyakar that it says three times. It says the word come by the Mishkan. 
over here. Talkim is a Mishkan. Hukam a Mishkan. And Vayaka Moshe refers to the three Batei Mikdash. He gives one explanation, but the Chidah says it makes more sense to him other than that, the Kliyakar. But say to him, Hukam refers to the second base of Mikdash where the people were not worthy. They married non-Jewish women, so it never really was set up on, by anybody special. It was set up on its own, so to speak. But the future base of Mikdash will be Vayaka Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu will bring it. The Geula Shleim will happen. And that will be something, again, maybe in the middle of a war right now. Right? A crazy, crazy war. But it should happen very, very soon that we see Moshe Rabbeinu doing it. Yeah? No. You're talking about something else entirely. That's the renewal of the world. If it's a thousand years, it could be 365. It could be 20. It could be the amount of years, 5782. Right? There's two slash three Tchias Mason. So it, in Shara Gamul, the Ramban explains that there is a Tchias Mason that happens immediately when Mashiach comes, where great city can like motion and Aaron will come back and bring back some of the Dordea, etc. That's going to be one. The final Tchias Mason, which is the Yom Hadin Gadol that will happen at the very, very end. And whatever the renewal of the world will be that, the, the, that he speaks about in Shara Gamul. That's from the Ramban itself. Okay, but the, there is a Tchias Mason that will happen by the days of Mashiach. We just don't know exactly how it's going to be. Our final thing is something that Naftali mentioned earlier. The Gemara Brachos Nundalamayalf Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu must have been ten amos tall since he's the one that set up the Mishkan. There's actually a Gemara in Shabbos Daftzadi Beis that Moshe Rabbeinu set up the Mishkan because it was so big he must be ten amos tall because who else could have put this together? And it says by Yakam Moshe is a Mishkan. It's directly attributed to him, not to anybody else. Not, it doesn't say Vayakam B'nai Yisrael Samishkan, Vayakam Moshe Samishkan, he must have been absolutely huge. Now, Victor Miller is of the opinion that this is allegorical. And the truth is, this is the Maral's opinion as well. And even the Ben Chai, who likes taking some of the Agados at face value, the beginning of the fifth parak of Baba Basra, both in the Marsha and the Ben Yoyada, they both say that although there's a shot behind the Agadata, I'm going to explain it a different direction. Over here, they seem to say, Moshe Rabbeinu was not 15 feet tall. Now, I don't want to say this as an absolute. It could be that Moshe Rabbeinu is 15 feet tall and that he really was a giant among men and there was nobody else like him and that Og really was as tall as he was, 600, 700 feet tall. But if it's allegorical and if the message of the Gemara is trying to tell us something different, the Maral says that 10 is a number of shlemus, of completeness. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu being ten amos tall means he had completed his mission in this world and did everything he was supposed to do. That's an amazing idea behind the Maral and why it says ten amos as well. Ten amos as well. But it's clear, says Victor Miller, that Moshe Rabbeinu was a very strong person. Do you remember what he did to kill the Mitzri? Now we all know the Rashi. What does Rashi say he did? He said the name of Hashem and he killed the Mitzri, right? But the Pusik itself says he did what? He punched him once and killed him. We're talking about a man that even if he knew the shame of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he was strong enough to punch a guy in the face and kill him with one punch. That's a powerful punch. We're talking about a person, says Rav Miller, who was able to lift a 10-ama, 15-foot tall beam. A beam that was this thick. This thick. That's how big it was. Try lifting that up. I can barely carry a two-by-four. A two-by-four by 12, right? And carry it awkwardly and like walk around. And I'm unbelievably strong. And yet Moshe Rabbeinu is able to carry these 15-foot by 
three and a half, three feet by three feet, these massive, massive beams. It's crazy. This is the reason why Paro was so scared when he saw Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was intimidating. He was massive. Was he 10 almost tall? I don't know. But he was huge. He was huge. He was a massive person and an unbelievably strong person. And there's no question he had Siyat Tadishmaya to do things that, that other people couldn't do. But he was a person who was able to lift up a beam by himself and set it up in the right place. You know why? So says Rob Miller. Because he used his strength for good things. He didn't use his strength to show off. He didn't use his strength to do dumb things. He used his strength in the right way. And if you use your strength in the right way, it's a great schus to be able to do this, to be able to lift up the Mishkan and aid it. I'm going to give another example. Does anyone remember what happened with him and Sipora? How did he find Sipora the first time? Well, now that's Yaakov. Oh, no. You're thinking of Yaakov. Right. A bunch of shepherds got scared of one guy. Who in the world scares off a bunch of shepherds when they all need water? Right? The answer is Moshe Abinu was just that strong. That's who he was. On the other hand, you look at a guy like Shimshon. Shimshon was also extremely strong, but unfortunately used his strength for things other than what he was supposed to use them for. Now again, I don't want to say anything bad. If Chazal didn't say it, we can't say it. But it seems that Chazal say that when Shimshon started getting involved with the Plishti women, he wasn't always doing the right thing. When he lifted up the door and put it on his back in order to escape the city in the middle of the night... That was a usage of his strength in a bad way. And therefore, he lost his strength. He had his hair shorn off so that he was at the mercy of the Pelishti guards. And until he knocked down the entire Colosseum, destroying all the Pelishti that were there, the 3,000 on the roof, plus who knows how many were inside the Colosseum itself, until that point, Shimshon had lost his strength. Because again, you use your strength for good, it'll stay with you forever. Use your strength for bad, you're going to lose it. Goes same exact thing goes for Chachma. If you have Chachma and you use it for good, it will stay with you forever. You have Chachma and you use it for bad, the result is unfortunately going to be very, very unfortunate. You're going to lose it completely. The Tambadas or Strumbach says, there's no question this was miraculous. It could not have been done physically. But this nace only happened because Moshe bin had Mesiris Nefesh and Ishtadlus. He was willing to try hard. He was willing to work. He was willing to do everything he needed to do. And that's why the Malacha is called by his name. When a person does something for Mesiris Nefesh, he does a mitzvah l'shem shalom, he does it in the right way, HaKadosh Baruch will help him b'derech nes. Hashem will allow miracles to happen as if he did it on his own. Even though HaKadosh Baruch was involved the entire way through. The Alshech says, perhaps... The only reason why he was able to do it is because the Mishkan above was already made. Remember how we said, Hukama Mishkan means the Mishkan above. Vayaka Moshe is a Mishkan. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu was able to do this. Once the Mishkan above was done, it's almost as if the entire thing was set up already for Moshe Rabbeinu to be able to finish off. That's how the Alshech puts it. The Be'er Mayim Chaim says something more. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't able to make the Kalim. The people made it. But Moshe Rabbeinu infused it with Kedusha. He gave a Neshama to the Kalim. He gave it a neshama. Can you imagine taking a book and putting a neshama in the book? Taking keys and putting a neshama in the keys? That's what Moshe Rabbeinu did. Who come a mishkan? The mishkan was set up by Bnei Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't involved with that. But by Yoka Moshe a mishkan. Moshe infused it. Moshe made it into something. That's the idea behind it. The Rabbeinu Ephraim even says the word hukam is the letters of mikvah. It was a place that was metayer b'nei Yisrael because it was literally like walking into a soul when he walked into the Mishkan. That's how awesome it was because while Moshe 
Rebbe was able to do there. Then Nitziv says, no matter how you look at it, whether it was physically done, spiritually done, whatever happened, there's no doubt there was special siyata deshmaya that was given to Moshe Rebbe to do this. Therefore, this Pasuk is written on its own that who come a Mishkan and then by Yakam Moshe, Moshe a Mishkan. That's the idea behind what that first Pasuk is. That Moshe Rebbe had something special that no one else had and that's who it was over here. He was able to do something beyond everything else. There's a sworn over here. I, I'm just going to point this out because it says in this Pasuk, it just says it was a crazy miracle. If you look at these Pesukim, it says, Pasuk Yudches refers to the Urios. The Mishkan with the Urios, if you remember from last week, we said the Mishkan are the Urios that they put on top. The ten Urios made of wool and linen, etc., that they had attached to one another that went all around, covered by the Urios Izim, covered by the Tach, the Elam Adamim, covered by the Urios Etzachashim, right? But the, the first, they set up the Urios, and then they put down the beams. Look at the wording of the Fosset. Vayaka Moshe Mishkan. He put up the Urios. And then he put down the sockets, and then he put up the beams, and then they put the bars in. Hold on a second. If I wanted to cover, put something on top over here, wouldn't I set this up first, and then put the thing on top? Why would he put the thing on top, and then put the beams underneath it? Says the Sforno, either it was miraculous, the Urios were literally hanging in the air without anything, and then he put in the beams underneath, or he had people holding them up, like the talus on Verkolna Arum, you know what I'm talking about? Holding it up the entire time until he put the sockets and put the Mishkan underneath it in order for the Urios to be there. It, the Urios, right? Well, uh, ten, ten Amos, because you're dealing with the sockets plus on top of that. You'd have to be on a ladder or a chair. They'd have to be able to stand on top of something in order to do it, which is completely counterintuitive. I hear it. It doesn't make any sense to do it this way. But the Sforno says, it seems, if the Mishkan really refers to the Urios, like we spoke out in last week's Parsha, this is an amazing thing to think. And the last thing we're going to do is this. The Rabbeinu B'chaya learns from this Pasuk the concept of Malin B'Kodesh Maridin. You know, the Benish Chai was once asked when he was seven years old, he wanted to hold the Havdalah candle. So his father told him, I'll let you hold the Avdala candle if you can tell me why we do the brachos in the order that we do them in. Tell me why the brachos are in that order for Avdala, and I'll do it. Ben Ishchai said immediately, seven years old. He said, Malam B'Kodesh Ve'Maridim. Malam B'Kodesh. Baruch HaTah Hashem Melekinu Ha'cholam Barei Priyagathan. Baruch HaTah Hashem Melekinu Ha'cholam Barei Minei B'Samim. Baruch HaTah Hashem Melekinu Ha'cholam Barei Meorei Ha'esh. Baruch HaTah Hashem Melekinu Ha'cholam Mamavdil Ben Kodesh L'chol. Malin B'Kodesh Vein Marid. Is that brilliant? That's the reason for the order of the brachos. He made that up at seven, seven years old. He got to hold the candle, right? And I don't know if he held it the height of his future kala. I have absolutely no idea if that happened, right? But he definitely got to hold the candle that day. The Rabbeinu B'chaya says, based on the Gemara Menachos, Tafsadi Tesmanalov, Malin B'Kodesh Kodesh Vein Moridin is learned from this Pusik. He says specifically the Ein Moridin part, the Ein Moridin. Why? Even though Moshe Rabbeinu had to, as we kept saying, put up the Mishkan and take it down. Not one Pusik over here says that he took it down. It says Vayakam, it says Tokim, it says Hukam. But not once does it said that he brought it down. Not once, not even one time. Because Ein Moridin, we don't put something down once we bring it back up. I know we have to physically take it down at some point. But we're Ein Moridin, that's what we learn over here. Vayakam by every single one of the Kalim, Vayakam by the Mishkan, every single one is about putting it up even though obviously there were some things that were taken down. The Chassam Sofer points out that we could have learned this lesson above in the beginning of the parak, where it first says, Tokim is a Mishkan. 
But there, we might have thought that Moshe had to do it himself because the other alternative was Betzalel. Betzalel was 13 at the time. And that would make sense why Moshe Rabbeinu had to do it and get involved over here. But over here, it says, who come? Who come? It happened on its own anyway. Well, if it happened on its own anyway, then why not get Betzalel involved? A 13-year-old could do it if it happens on its own. All anybody has to do is touch it or even look at it, and all of a sudden it goes up. So why couldn't Betzalel do it? On that, we say Malam Bekodesh. Not only Ain Moridin do we learn from this Pusik, but Milan Bekodesh, since Bitsala was told to make it and Moshe was the one who did it. Malan Bekodesh. You always go up, up and up and up in order to make sure that the right person is doing it. So remember that, everybody, because it's not just about Ain Moridin. Obviously, that's one thing. It's also about Milan Bekodesh and always raising ourselves to a higher level to understand that even if things happen on our own, we always have to work harder and harder to make sure things happen in the best possible way. Have a great job, everyone.